Please turn with me in God's holy word to 2 Samuel chapter 7 once more. 2 Samuel chapter number 7. And our text this evening will be from verses 18 to the end of the chapter. Verse number 18 down to verse number 29 at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 7. And our title for this evening's message is David's Prayer of Thanksgiving. David's Prayer of Thanksgiving. Prayer meetings are really important for the life of the church. And why are they so important? God's people gather as one, pleading before the throne of grace to seek the Lord's blessings. We need the Lord's blessings to cry out to him that he would rend the heavens and come down in our midst and bless us with his blessed presence. And to give thanks for blessings received from Almighty God. We express our thanksgiving, we express our praise to him in the public prayers before Almighty God. To express to God the joy that is in our hearts because of what he has done for us, his people. These are public prayers led by one man leading in the prayer. And we pray though as one people together. As one body together. All praying as one. But what else is important about the public prayer of God? I wonder if you, like me, have learned from the prayers of others. There's something so intimate, isn't there, about hearing someone praying to his loving, heavenly Father. There is that closeness, there is that love and that intimacy. And I would imagine that you, like me, have learned from the prayers of the saints that you have heard and that we have prayed together. You have learned of how to pray from other brothers in Christ. We can learn from the prayers of others. And when we come to this midweek prayer meeting, we learn to pray, don't we? We learn to pray, to exalt God in our prayers, to thank him, to confess our sins, and to give him thanks. But do you know everything about prayer? If you're like me, you do not know everything about prayer. We're always learning about how to pray before God. We are so weak. We are so dependent on God. And so we need to learn to pray. I think we often forget that. We can just think it's, well, it's us communicating to God. But we must learn ourselves how to pray and by God's grace, I pray that we'll learn from David's prayer here in our text. We have learned from the prayers of others. And let us also learn from David's prayer here this evening as we look at this prayer recorded here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Our first point is of God's servant. Of God's servant. Verse number 18. 
Then went King David in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I? O Lord God, and what is my house that thou hast brought me hither to? Who am I? Who am I? David has just heard of the wonderful kingly blessings that are upon him and his seed. That the throne will never depart from his seed as it did with Saul. Does he forget his role before Almighty God? After hearing such a wonderful blessing. That the throne of David will endure. We see that fulfilled don't we? Verse number 13. He shall build an house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. We see this to a degree with Solomon. But even more so to the greater Solomon. The Lord Jesus Christ. The ultimate son of David, of the seed, spoken about here in this wonderful promise. But what can happen after we hear wonderful blessings, wonderful news that the Lord has bestowed upon us, that power is given? Well, we are sinners. And we are so prone to pride. Every single one of us. As soon as something, and you notice this, don't you, in your lives, as soon as something good happens in your life, We are so prone to sin so quickly. We are so prone to forget our role. That we are servants. And we serve a king. We serve God. Pride can rise up in our hearts and go, well, I deserve that. But a servant realizes that they do not deserve The least of the Lord's mercies. Now what is David's attitude? Who am I? David is a king. A powerful king. He has just had rest from his enemies. Verse number one of this chapter. But he says still after hearing such blessing. Who am I? Does he does he, is his heart filled with pride and arrogance here? Not at all. He sees who he is. He sees that him and his house are completely unworthy of such a wonderful blessing. Who am I to be given such a great and wonderful honor? See, as a king, he must remember he is first and foremost a servant. No matter the role you play in society, if you are a Christian, you are first a servant. And I don't think we've seen many servants in our own culture. For thousands of years ago, people knew what it meant to be a servant. It meant to do the lowest and most menial of tasks. It meant to get down on your knees and to do The hard, difficult work. And to not think of yourselves too good. You lived for your master. That was what a servant was. 
We live in a different time. And the idea of a servant is not really seen around us in servant attitudes. But David sees that he is nothing and that God is powerful. The real power is with God. Look at verse number 19. And this was yet a small thing in thy sight, O Lord God. The real power, the real kingly power is with God. He doesn't see it with his own house. It's very important that we also think of these houses. There's the house of David. And then there's the house of God. In verse number 2 of 2 Samuel, it says that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. And Nathan said unto the king, verse 3, Go and do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. And what is the temptation always with the house of God versus our own homes? Versus our own houses, versus our own things. Which one are we more likely to prioritize and give more focus upon? Isn't it our own house? Isn't it what we see in the history of Israel? If we turn briefly to Haggai chapter 1. Haggai and chapter number 1. This was the temptation as well in Haggai's day. This is after the return from the exile into Babylon and Persia. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, It is time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house, this is the house of God, lie waste. And Haggai the prophet in that chapter is dealing with, well, look at your own houses, that sealed house. The, the houses are complete. They are worked on. But when they returned from exile, the house of God was in ruins. Their emphasis was on one house rather than another. David, in his prayer, sees the importance of the house of God above his own house. He sees that he is a servant before God. Now we're thinking about thanksgiving in this prayer. This is a prayer of thanksgiving. David is, this king is thanking God. And when we see we are a servant, he is a servant, he is grateful because he sees himself as a servant. He doesn't see himself as a master, he doesn't see God there as to serve him and his whims. The difference is going to be the difference between gratitude, we're thankful that God has given us anything, to grumbling. See, if we think we deserve something, we're going to grumble before the Lord and want more. Want more. We'll see our neighbors with extra. And that could be extra children. That could be an extra car. That could be a nicer house. That could be with a better job. Whatever it is, we can grumble before the Lord and forget the great and wonderful blessings that he's given to us, his servants. Our second point of four is this, of God's splendor. Of God's splendor. This word splendor is grace, beauty.
beauty. We often talk about God as glorious and great and wonderful, but I, I remember a brother challenged me on this years ago and asked me, well, what do you mean by glory? Could you explain that to me? And I always remember that. Because I think we talk about God as glorious, his splendor, his radiance, without really thinking about what that means. If something has radiance and splendor, it catches your eye. It draws your attention because it is so wonderful and glorious that your eyes are fixed upon it because of its beauty. You see, we are but creatures of the dust. And God is great and glorious, full of splendor, full of radiance, shining forth. We are weak and dependent upon God. And that needs to be our attitude in prayer. This was David's attitude in prayer. Verse number 22. Verse number 22. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee. Neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. One of the great difficulties of speaking about God is he is different from everything in this world. Unto whom will you compare me? Isaiah seems to repeat it so many times, and the Lord speaks to his people. Unto whom will you compare me? You see, once we compare God to anything made with the hands of men, we have an idol. And not the God as revealed in scripture. Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, and there is none like thee. And often when we speak about God, we say what he is not. Because of his greatness. He is without, we have limits, he is without limits. He has power, we have a limited amount of power. Granted to us by God, but his power is limited. Less without limit. We can't even wrap our minds around that, can we? And this is why we speak about God as incomprehensible. Because his attributes, his, his goodness, his power, his splendor is infinite. Without beginning, without end, without limit. And so it is a privilege for Anyone, whether we a king, a president, a boss of a company, the farmer, the fisherman, all people, no matter who you are, no matter what your status in society is, it's a great privilege and a pleasure to come into the presence of a far greater king than we will ever meet in this world. Regardless of our station, you know, people will, they'll meet famous people. And you ever get people that are very nervous when they're meeting someone famous? Maybe there's the prime minister, maybe you're, you're near the king. And, and you, maybe you get a chance to shake his hand and you're thinking, what will I say to him? And you're so in awe almost that you get this opportunity to speak to such a powerful person. Friends, we have every single day the opportunity to speak before God who is far more powerful than anyone we will get nervous and a dry mouth about in speaking before on this earth isn't it true isn't it true 
Are we awestruck by God? Because that word awe, we talk about awesome, really should only be used about God. It's used about a lot of things today. But only God truly inspires awe in his greatness. We see the greatness of him, this shining radiance, this shining splendor. And so because of his greatness, we are so grateful to receive anything from him. Anything from him. I, I remember years ago, there was, a, there was somebody my, my sister knew, and he was a famous sports player in the area, and it was a signed jersey. And you keep that, and you keep it in good condition because of who the person is. Well, friends, we get to meet with God in prayer every single day. And his shine, his radiance, Never fades. That jersey, years later, was worn out, and I think it was thrown out somewhere. But the, th the things we value will one day be dust. Do you see what I'm saying? We value these things that will last but a mere few years, if even. But God never, ever loses any of his glorious radiance, the shine. The first time you buy a car... The first time you buy a new house, it has that wonderful new shine of a new thing. So much so you're almost afraid to touch it because the more you use it, the, the less it shines and has that newness about it. It catches your eye, but eventually over time, the more you drive that car, the more that house is lived in, the more it looks older. Immediately, it loses that. It loses that shine, but the Lord never does. The Lord never does. You see, David sees that there is none like thee. There's nothing like him in this world. He is holy, holy, holy. And one of the aspects of holiness is separate. He's not like this world. He's not subject to the change and decay of the things we see around us. He is without, as James writes in 1.17, James 1.17, he is without shadow of turning. And as 1 John tells us in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's that shining splendor and radiance of his greatness that never diminishes and that the person who has faith in Jesus Christ sees. We see it. We will see it far more in the world to come. But we see it. And we long to see it more in the world to come, don't we? In verse number 21. For thy name's sake and according to thine own heart. Hast thou done all these? What kind of things has he done? Great things to make thy servant Know them. Because we see them as great things, we're grateful for what he has done. Who am I? We keep saying that the Lord visits us with such blessings. A great and mighty king who has given you your job, the food on your table, the car you drive around in, the roof over your head, 
the intelligence to think through things. The Lord has given you this. The power you have to be able to walk from point A to point B. Now we don't appreciate these things, do we, until they're gone. Somebody loses their eyesight. Then they realize how blessed they were when their eyes worked better. Let us see, dear friends. Now we're not worthy of the least of these wonderful gifts that God gives us. And it is to him we are to be grateful too. His splendor and his radiance. And now when we look at his splendor and his radiance, we ought to give thanks for not just even what he does for us. And there's wonderful things we have to thank him for that. But for who he is in verse number 26. And let thy name be magnified forever. Let thy name be magnified forever. You see, David sees the greatness of God, the splendor of God, the beauty of God, the newness of God, which will never fade from eternity past to eternity future, and all things will be gone in this world, will be returned to dust. The Lord remains forever. He is unchanging and unchangeable. Number three now, our third point of God's salvation. Of God's salvation. So we've looked at of God's servant, of God's splendor, and of God's salvation. What is the great thing? That we so, the longer we're believers in Jesus Christ, that we can so often forget to thank God for. That we must thank God for. That we should thank God for. Our own deliverance. Our own salvation. <coughs> and it may seem strange that we would forget such a wonderful blessing. But sometimes the longer we've been a Christian. We forget what we've been delivered from. We forget in, in a sense, how bad things were. And I know that can be difficult for the person who came to know Christ at a young age. And praise God if the Lord saved you at a young age. But the Lord has saved you from serving the world, the flesh, and the devil. That, that slavery, that bondage from spiritual Egypt. And David even see, David sees this. Verse number 23. He praises God. For his greatness. He praises God for the salvation which has been wrought in Israel. Verse 23. And what one nation in the earth is like thy people. Even like Israel whom God went to redeem for people to himself. And to make him a name. And to do for you great things and terrible for thy land. Before thy people which thou redeemest to thee from Egypt. From the nations. And their gods. There is this redemption. There is this deliverance that came from Egypt. But also all the other nations. All the other enemies of God. Which would be placed under his feet. As the seed of the woman would advance. And place all enemies under the feet of Jesus Christ. And then the final enemy will be death itself. David has not forgotten. David has not forgotten. In the midst of this great blessing upon him and his seed, he has not forgotten 
how this is all possible by the, the mercy of God, by the deliverance of God, delivered from oppression, delivered from lands which serve false gods, to serve in a land where the Lord alone is God. How can he have this kingdom? How can he have these blessings that he's just heard of? In verse 13, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. In verse 16, and thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. It is possible because of the grace of God. It is possible because of the mercy of God. Again, David would say again, who am I? My house is not worthy of such a wonderful blessing. You see, David was a man after God's own heart, but Saul was a choice of the people. Saul's kingdom was doomed to fail. And the mercy of the Lord departed from that house, but it would never depart. It will never depart from the house of David. And we look to a greater David, don't we? We don't look for salvation in Solomon. We look for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is of the seed of his father, David. It is a wonderful, wonderful promise. This salvation, this deliverance is brought through this seed. But what about you? Do you acknowledge and remember in your prayers your salvation? That the Lord has delivered you don't forget the big things. You see, so often we can become distracted by the, the other things in life. Yes, they're important, but we should never fail to give thanks and praise to God for our own salvation. Yes, pray for the salvation of others. Yes, pray for the nation. But thank Him and praise Him that He has delivered you from the wrath to come. Are you free today? Are you serving righteousness it is for one reason only. Not because you're any better than anyone else. We read a very sad intimation at the beginning of this meeting. About those who would wish to attack the light of nature. And those who would wish to suppress the truth and righteousness in such a horrendous way. That anyone who would affirm that there's two genders. And that you can't change your gender. When we read of these things, we mourn and we are saddened. But for the grace of God, there go we. There go we. See, I don't think we realize what the Lord has delivered us from. So often we, we think we're, no, no, friend. But for the grace of God, we would be doing exactly the same thing as the Scottish government. And we ought to pray for them. That they would come to know the true and living God. That they by grace alone through faith alone to the glory of Christ alone would serve God. Would serve God. That they would see their role as ministers of God. That they would stand before God one day either naked in their own righteousness. Or clothed in the righteousness of Christ. By faith and by faith alone. Romans chapter 6. And verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 6. And verses 1 and 2. 
What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? And also verse number six, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. Henceforth, we should not serve sin. And Paul makes it very, very clear. Those who've been delivered from bondage to sin, what is their life? Verses 16 and 17. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey? His servants ye are unto whom ye obey. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Verse 17. But God be thanked. And Paul thanks the Lord here. That ye were the servants of sin. Once in under the bondage of spiritual Egypt. Cruel taskmaster that it was. Paul writes. But ye have obeyed from the heart. That form of doctrine which was delivered you being made free from sin. Ye became the servants of righteousness. The servants of righteousness. And we pray for the government of this land that they too would become servants of righteousness as King David sought to be here. And as we ought in our own lives and callings to be servants of righteousness because the Lord took pity upon us. That is why we serve righteousness. Verse number 28 of our text. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of thy servant. Sorry, verse 28. And now, O Lord God, thou art that God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. It is a good thing that the Lord has bestowed upon us, that he's given to us. Our final point, number four, of God's speech. Of God's speech. So that we've looked at, number one, of God's servant. This is David's role. He is a servant. He is a lowly servant. And he says, who am I? Of God's splendor, we look at the greatness and the radiance of Almighty God. So we are grateful to him for what he has given us. Of God's salvation. The greatest of all gifts that he's given us. He's given us salvation. He has given us Jesus himself of the seed of David. And finally number four of God's speech. Verse number 21 of our text. For thy words sake. And according to thine own heart. For thy words sake. And also verse number 27. For thou O Lord of hosts. God of Israel hast revealed to thy servants, saying, I will build thee in house. Therefore, hath thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. Revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build thee in house. In our prayer, to grow in our prayer, for our prayers, you could say, to be richer and deeper and closer to God, we must pray according to the will of God. And how do we pray according to the will of God? We must pray the words of God, the promises of Almighty God, so that when we come before Him, we pray 
as the Lord commanded his disciples to pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will. So we're praying according to the will of God. How do we know what the will of God is? The words of God. His revealed will. What is revealed to his servants. And that is a powerful prayer, isn't it? When you come before God with what God has promised his people, we're really crying out to the Lord, remember, O Lord, thy promises. We call out to him according to his word. Because so often, friends, when we pray contrary to these things, these things are weak and inferior. But the Lord's will is better. If we turn briefly to Nehemiah, Chapter 1 and verse 8. The chapter we looked at a few weeks ago in our midweek. But Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 8. Nehemiah's prayer contains this. Remember, I beseech thee the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If you transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments. Now, the Lord doesn't forget anything, does he? But Nehemiah cries out to him, and it is proper to do so. Remember, remember thy promises, O Lord. You're petitioning the Lord with his promises to us. Not that the Lord ever forgets these things. But these are powerful prayers. Because it is the will of Almighty God. It is according to his will that we ought to pray the good things that are promised in God's word. And I ask you here this evening, which is better? The things that we come up with in our own imagination. The things that we think that are good for us. And are most likely not. Or the things that God has revealed and promised to us. See, God's promises are far greater than man's own imaginations of greatness. They're far greater The promises of Almighty God are far greater than the kingdom on earth of David. Or Solomon in all its glory. That was the reminder to the people of God. After they'd come back from exile. Far better is to come. Than anything that was seen in this land. Far better than David. Far better than Moses. Far better than Solomon. And they could not really imagine that. That all these things would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And it's all according to his word. You see, his word is far better. What's the best form of prayer we can give before God? His thoughts. His words. And now, O Lord God, verse 28, thou art God and thy words be true. There's reference to his words. And thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now it pleased thee to bless the house of thy servant. See that he's crying out to him, to the Lord, to bless according to the promise of almighty God. The greatest of all blessings. You see friends, man will promise many things. He will promise health, wealth and happiness. But he forgets the greatest of all health with Christ. He forgets the greatest wealth, the kingdom of Christ. 
And he forgets also the greatest happiness with Christ for all eternity. The greatest blessing of all. You see, what could we pray today? What did Jesus promise? I will build my church. I will build my house. That is a great and wonderful promise. In a day and a time when we see so much departure from the truth. Let us pray before Almighty God. That the Lord would build up his church in our day. Especially on this island. Especially in this land. We can learn from the prayers of others, can't we? We can learn. And we can certainly learn from this prayer of David. That he gives thanks and praise. He exalts God. He lifts him up. He lifts him up high. And also in our prayer we need to humble ourselves. Humble ourselves. And we will only humble ourselves if we see who we are. Servants. But we see who God is. Glorious. Full of splendor. Full of radiance. Full of greatness and goodness. You see... We must continue forever and ever, both in this world and in the world to come, in our prayers, in the singing of the Psalms, in everything else with our hearts, to give Him thanks for salvation. And to give Him thanks for the glorious things that He has revealed to us, His servants. Amen. And may His name be praised as we come before the Lord in prayer.